Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ruby for All. Julie, what is up? I was sick for two weeks. Oh, God. I don't know what. Yeah, I'm fine now. And so I'm glad that you were gone anyways, but it was either two different illnesses or I don't know. I feel bad. Like I haven't been back at the gym. It's been a while. So that's been what's up with me. I'm back on my feet now, back to 100% missed you. I'm sure you had a great time at Rails World. We'll talk about that a little bit. Yes. I'm glad you're feeling better. Jeez. I would assume <laughs> some soup. Yes. We will talk about Rails World in a second, but today we have one of the speakers of Rails World, Joe Mazzalotti. Joe, welcome to the show. You want to introduce mm-hmm. yourself? My name is Joe Mazzalotti. I'm the Turbo Native guy. I've been doing Turbo Native for a number of years now. Just got back from Rails World last week, gave a presentation on that, kind of structured on how to do hybrid apps as a Rails developer. So excited to chat more about that today. Yes. And I was sitting in the front row of that talk and I was getting excited, which can be dangerous for me because once (laughs) I get like a little, there's like a little itch. And once it starts, it's a little bit, you're like, yo, your talk was great. Do you want to describe what you did maybe in the premise of your talk for people to know? And then I guess we should probably talk about Turbo iOS to begin with for people who don't even know that all this is happening. Yeah, so let's go high level. Traditionally, mobile apps, iOS and Android apps are like a pain in the butt to build. They require like an API backend. They require every screen to build in natively in Swift or in Kotlin. But you get a lot of benefits of that. You get to the App Store or the Google Play Store and you get distribution to a huge audience on both. And if your app is polished enough, you can even get featured by Apple or Google. And all of a sudden, really exciting things can start to happen. But building those apps, like I said, is really tough. And if you run your Rails server and your Rails app, you end up having to build your screens three times. Once for web, once for iOS, once for Android. And it's a big burden. Even if you think it's going to be quick to get them going, you have to maintain all of those screens and all the business logic across three platforms. And Turbo Native, part of the Hotwire stack, is a way to do that that makes it feel a little bit easier for Rails developers. At a high level, it renders your mobile web content, like your HTML, your CSS, inside of a hybrid iOS or hybrid Android app. So you still submit to the App Store, submit to Google Play. Folks can download it. They can get push notifications, all that good stuff. But the core content is a web view rendering out your mobile screens. And it's kind of key there because you get a big benefit of if you add a new feature to your Rails app, you just get it for free in your iOS and Android apps. There's You don't even have to like resubmit or recompile or rebuild or repackage. It just, it works. It's like... I said this during the talk, it's the only framework that I'm aware of that is write once, deploy everywhere, where you literally write HTML once and you get it across three platforms. So my talk focused on that and how to make it easy for Rails developers to get started. I created a side app earlier this year and I started out with just plain Rails with the ERB templating the views. And then I was like, oh, I kind of want to learn React Native because we were working on the React Native app at work. And then I was like, oh, how do I do this? I need to now create an API. And then now I need to create another view. Basically, now I need to start up a React repo. Mm -hmm. And needless to say, I stopped that pretty quickly. Like I was (laughs) like, I'm just going to stick to making it a web app and maybe make that mobile friendly. And you can look at it on like a website or something. So I feel that pain and I'm very excited for the conversation we're going to have because maybe I can use Turbo Native and just do it once. Yeah, that's 
React Native path is is something I've seen a lot of people take and go back on that and realize that, yeah, you can build your React Native app once for iOS and then deploy it to Android or vice versa, but you still have to build that new screen every time for every new feature. And you still need an API on the back end to support them. So if you don't already have a React web front end, React Native apps are a ton of work because you're just building, you might as well just go fully native, (laughs) to be honest. Turbo Native kind of like bridges that gap where you don't have to recreate all of your screens every single time once you have your scaffolding in place. Can you talk specifically, because as a Rails developer, Mm -hmm. when I want to deploy an app, actually I'll do it right now, live on the podcast. Oh yeah. There you go. I I love that you can do that. (laughs) (laughs) I have heard, but can you kind of explain to the listeners why this is so helpful and what that process of releasing an app is kind of like. Yeah. So as Andrew just showed, Git push or a deploy to Heroku or what have you button can sometimes be as easy as it is to get your Rails app on a server somewhere or pushing an update to your Rails server. There's a build step, maybe, you know, run your CI, whatever. But within a few minutes, your changes are live in production for everyone in the world. On iOS and Android, you have to go through the gates of approval from the people that are making sure that your app isn't doing anything wrong or breaking anything, any of the rules. And at best, that's a few hours. You submit your app, you package it up, your release notes, they look at it really quickly, they approve it, you're live. Okay, a few hours. Well, it still takes 24 hours for those changes to propagate to everyone. So if you're relying on some big feature push or some big, big bug fix, at least 24 hours, unless you get an exception from them. But in reality, it can take closer to a week or sometimes two weeks for big changes. I've submitted apps that have been under review for two weeks under Apple, and you get used to it. (laughs) When you're coming from Rails, you don't expect that. And that is really tough. And even if you aren't, you don't care about, you know, timely or time sensitive anything. The fact that your release cycle is so much longer just creates a lot of stress. And it disconnects you from what makes web development so great, which is just get push and boom, it's live in a few minutes. And having to keep the cognitive load of like, what's live, what's in the queue, what's coming next, it's a whole other problem. And then multiply that by two for both platforms, and you can see how tricky this gets. With something like Turbo Native, yes, you'll go through that process for the initial release. You will. And you will go through that process for any native features you add. But for 90% of your work, every new web component, every new web screen, every new CRUD operation, every new endpoint is all just free. You push it to your server, and it appears in your iOS and Android apps the next time they launch or while they're using it, if a button appears. And that's what keeps bringing me back to Turbo Native. How does that work exactly? Like, how is it able to do that? It uses the magic of a web view. (laughs) It's literally just a browser inside of an app. So it's just hitting your server as if it was embedded Safari browser or embedded Chrome browser. And whatever your website is rendering, the iOS or Android app renders inside of it. So yes, you still need an internet connection, but all of your CSS, all of your JavaScript, everything that's already packaged inside of the HTML rendering over the wire is what you get on your mobile apps. So there's no magic. It's kind of just, it's just a kind of a fancy version of a browser. It's a customized browser, so to speak, with access to full native APIs, like push notifications and geofencing and stuff. So to me, it's the best of both worlds. I'm an Apple snob. I'm going to go ahead and admit it. I have a quality bar. Ever since I gave up the Dell in college, I've had this quality where when I open an app on my iPhone, I expect it to be a good app. And if it's not a good app, I'm going to delete it. I've tried to explain this on Ruby before. The other day, I opened a new app. I was like, this app looks super cool. I like downloading new apps. I'm going to try it out, see what they're doing. 
and it was like sign up or log in. So I hit the button fully expecting to get popped open like an OAuth window and I just mm-hmm. go about my business. But it opened up a web view, the wrong size, and it was buggy. And I closed the window, deleted the app and went along with my day. So I'm wondering, I have seen, I'm sure you have too, a lot of really terrible native web native implementations. So I'm wondering like, what does Turbo iOS and Strata and Hotwire, what are they giving you to help you kind of avoid that? Yeah. To be frank, if your mobile website is crap, your mobile apps are going to be crap. There's no way around that. The core of what you're rendering, 90%, 80% of the view is your web view. If your mobile website looks terrible and behaves poorly, your mobile apps are not going to be any better. So some recommendations that I have for that is to make sure that you render web screens that are platform agnostic. You don't make it look like a native iOS app. You make it look like your app. You brand it. Same thing for Android. You don't make your list view look like a native Android list. You make it look like your table. I think that goes a long way in making sure that you're setting expectations where you're not comparing apples to apples, (laughs) lowercase apples anymore. You're comparing a web screen with an app and you don't really have to worry about it. But you mentioned Strata really quick. And Strata is where you can start to make your just boring web content really come alive on the native platforms. Strata is a bridge from your HTML to native code. And it enables things like native buttons or native forms or native pickers or fully native screens that is powered by your web content. So in practice, what that means is that you get access to native APIs in theory, but in practice, you are writing native code for those. So if you do want to kind of take the leap and decide, okay, this is a screen that would really benefit from a native component, maybe a native picker, a native button on the top, a native map, you can use Strata to kind of bridge that gap to make it easy to communicate back and forth between your native Swift, native Kotlin, and your server, JavaScript, and HTML. So I got a question for you. And I went back and checked the date. On October 22nd, 2021, so probably two weeks before that, on Remote Ruby, we talked to one of the former lead iOS developers at Basecamp who told us that you don't need Strata no one needs Strata. No one needs to wait for Strata. And then it kind of became vaporware for the past three years, where every time I go to the Turbo Docs, it's like, Strata, coming soon, maybe not. But now that it's here, I'm curious, number one, is Strata actually needed? And number two, how much of an impact is it going to have now that it's here? Strata is not needed to build Turbo Native apps. I've launched about a dozen of them before Strata was released without like to the App Store, they're still live, they're still kicking. Turbo Native dot directory is a website that popped up recently. And it's a bunch of Turbo Native apps that are available in the App Store, Google Play. I've worked on most of those. <laughs> and those were all released before Strata was public. So Strata itself does not enable anything. What Strata does is reduce the boilerplate and standardize some communication between your web and native apps. So the example that Strata uses is like a native hamburger menu, right? A native menu or an overflow menu, I think is the demo calls it. So you have a button in the top right, you click it, you get a little expandy thing that shows some links. I've built those hundreds of times without Strata. You just have to use some lower level plumbing and it's a pain in the butt. Strata reduces that, the boilerplate from maybe 150, 200 lines of code down to 30 or 40. And it makes it much easier for your web interface to update those components instead of having to deal with finicky back and forth JavaScript messages. So yeah, I mean, if you're just starting a project, Strata, definitely look at integrating it. If you have a Turbo Native app, but feel like you're missing out, 
see if you have those areas where well, this is really a pain in the butt to deal with. I hate passing messages back and forth. Strata could help. But if you've been waiting for Strata to release your Turbo Native app, I don't know. It's not groundbreaking. I'm excited for it. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited that it's released. I'm excited to use it. But it's not this like secret weapon to just all of a sudden your Rails app becomes an iOS or an Android app with importing Strata or something. So there's a lot I could talk about there with like, the marketing of it. But in practice, yeah, give it a shot. But don't worry if you don't think you need it because you might not. I always kind of figured that would be the case. Yeah. After the dev confirmed it. They keep saying this and the lead developer said this, but yeah. I don't know. Well, I think if anything, I think a lot of people are just like, oh, well, once it's out, then I'll do it. And there wasn't really incentivized to travel down that road. Hi there, Julie here. I would like to take a moment to thank GoRails for sponsoring this episode. When I was first starting out, I struggled with finding up-to-date content to help me level up. Then I learned about GoRails. Not only does GoRails provide new screencasts weekly, they also have two fantastic instructors that break down complex topics into digestible chunks. On top of that, I really appreciate when they explain the whys behind the subject. One of my favorite walkthroughs is creating your first Ruby gem from scratch. What a great way to learn by stripping down to just the basics. If you care about leveling up as a Ruby engineer, you can't go wrong with GoRails. Check it out at GoRails.com. I think that, to be frank, it was a bit of a marketing problem on 37 Signal side to kind of brand it as this game-changing thing with native apps and to put it as the third pillar of Hotwire, Turbo yeah. Stimulus Strata. It's as big as Turbo? No, it's not as big as Turbo. And only a small portion of people are going to even use it. And only a small people using Turbo Native are going to use Strata if they want it. So I talked to DHH about that at Rails World about why those are the three pillars. Why is it Turbo? Why is it Stimulus? Why is it Strata? Turbo and Stimulus totally make sense. They are the core building blocks of Hotwire. Strata is there because technically under the hood, those three frameworks do not depend on each other in any way. Strata does not depend on Turbo. Turbo does not depend on Strata. Strata doesn't depend on Stimulus and you know all the different connections you can make. But Turbo Native is part of Turbo. So you can see like where... Oh, yeah, it, the, I the, forgot the, about Turbo. Yes, yeah, the divide is actually on a technical level, not on a marketing level, which is a decision they made a long time ago and maybe they feel differently about it now. But the divide of the big three is on like, dependency technical code level, not a here's how to do front-end web, here's how to do front-end you know, native, et cetera. So I think that in my head at least clarified about why it is number three of three, even if it might not make sense in a, like a marketing perspective. Can you all explain what stimulus is? The juice that powers my will to write JavaScript, honestly. <laughs> well, well said. <laughs> Stimulus is a, I don't even want to call it a framework. Stimulus is what kind of came out of 37 Signals as they are now called, I guess. It's basically a very lightweight JavaScript framework that is supposed to be in your HTML primarily. And so DHH really describes it as like sprinkles of JavaScript, which is very true. So what you can kind of do is say, in Stimulus, you have controllers. And inside of those JavaScript controllers... You can attach actions and targets and events and you can watch portals and all, all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it kind of just gives you a very minimal like building set to like do a lot of the stuff, like to write ERB, but also write JavaScript code that's not unruly, doesn't take over your whole system. I very much enjoy it. I really started to like JavaScript once that came out. Why? Because it finally gave a structure for how to 
do JavaScript in Rails correctly. The way that Basecamp wanted it done, as such, the way it would work best. Before Stimulus, there was always page-specific JavaScript. Yes. And it was like, this JavaScript is only included on your index page of your post controller or whatever, right? Because it dealt with this button. And Stimulus, you can write that behavior in a single file that's contained just as single-page JavaScript was, but you can then apply it across multiple pages if you need to. So you can make like a generic button Stimulus thing. And my mind, it just makes so much more sense about how the stimulus JavaScript that you write gets wired up to your HTML. Like before there was all these, okay, at the end of an ERB partial, you'd write like JavaScript colon and then do like a document dot whatever. I can't even remember the the syntax for it, but like turbo colon load, right? And that would then fire a function when the page loaded. And it's my God, this is like six lines of boilerplate. Stimulus kind of just like ripped that all out. And now it's like, hey, throw a tag on your div and it'll just do this for you. And it really made sense. Like the mental model started to make sense for me after I saw those couple of like before and afters. And I, I really like it. I'm not a huge fan of JavaScript, but as Andrew said, like stimulus has helped me bridge that gap. I don't know if you feel this way. I'm, now I'm kind of curious. My problem with stimulus is they didn't go far enough. Alpine, I would have to say, if I'm starting my own thing and I'm like, I'm going to be quick and just doing my thing here, I use Alpine every time. And I have heard Caleb Porzio talk about this on podcasts before because he took inspiration from stimulus to build Alpine because he was like, I feel like they could have gone farther with this. And I agree that if the goal is like, hey, we're Rails developers, let's be in the template, let's keep our JavaScript close to the template, but let's still make this like good modern stuff, Alpine is quite good, I yeah. think. Yeah, I'm looking at the docs for it. It seems very similar to It like is, H- but it's, it's much more powerful. Or I don't know about HTMX, I haven't looked into it. In between. It looks cool. It has a lot more capabilities, or at least it made the ability to do things that I wanted to do a lot easier that I didn't see how to do with stimulus. Yeah. Can you talk about your library though? Turbo Navigator? Yes. So a little bit of background. Turbo Native has two components, Turbo iOS and Turbo Android. They respectively power the iOS and Android adapters for Turbo. And they're the native code written in Swift and Kotlin that you interact with to build your Turbo Native apps on your platform. As Andrew mentioned, a few years ago, or God, I can't remember the timeline now, but a couple of developers left 37 Signals for reasons. And a lot of the mobile development team left during that. Since then, there's only really been one or two mobile developers continuing to work on Turbo Native. And those developers just so happen to be Android developers. So for the past like extended period of time, Turbo Android has been far more improved than Turbo iOS. It handles a ton more stuff than Turbo iOS does, removing a lot of the boilerplate you need to work with a Turbo Native app. Turbo Navigator, my library, is essentially getting Turbo iOS back up to speed with Android. It's adding in all of the configuration, all of the routing, all this stuff that is like annoying to do on iOS, and making it back up to speed for feature parity with the Android library. I've been working with Jay from Basecamp on this for a few months now, to be honest. And we're close. We're getting there. It's The idea is that we will merge this into Turbo iOS to get the two libraries kind of running parallel again, instead of maintaining some like long, you know, long feature branch or whatever. So having the library on my own, I was able to fine tune it with multiple clients and have feedback from the community and stuff instead of having it be just inside of a, a PR on Turbo iOS. What it does is like kind of boring, to be honest. <laughs> Just makes it easier to use Turbo iOS. Like I wouldn't start a project these days without using Turbo Navigator. Of course, I'm biased there, but I also wouldn't recommend anyone else do it. 
especially because in a few months, ideally, you will be using Turbo Navigator, but it'll be abstracted to you because you'll just be using Turbo iOS directly and everything else will be under the hood. So if you're starting a new project on iOS, definitely recommend checking it out and seeing how it will help you. It removes on my client projects about 100 lines of boilerplate each time I, I import it. So it's always one of the first things I reach for. Uh, the, the demo, <laughs> I did a live demo at Rails World of how to get started with Turbo Native on iOS. And I think my demo was like 42 lines of code. That's how much code I wrote on the screen. A lot of comments, of course, a lot of spaces. But with Turbo Navigator, it's like six. And that's the type of improvement that it offers over the base configuration, which is just really powerful. I got distracted because I saw that by the time this episode has come out, and this will be in the past, but I saw that you're putting on a terminative crash course next week, next two weeks. Yeah, on Tuesday. On Tuesday. Yeah, well, I'll see you there. Nice. I'm going to have to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you what your recommendation is on how someone like me can get started on Turbo Native. It sounds like yeah. watching your Rails World talk is helpful. I know you have put on some workshops if uh, that is another option. Any other thoughts or ideas? Yeah. So if this had aired a little bit earlier, I would say come join the workshop because it's on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that'll this will be published by then, which is totally cool. I didn't come here to promote that. <laughs> If you were getting started today, you're listening to this in the future. Right now, there's not a lot of good content out there for Turbo Native. There's like me and a couple other folks that are doing some Android things, but most of the content is going to come from me. That's kind of the way it is. Maslati.com, my website, has a kind of a way to walk through Turbo Native on it. What it will do is take you to a video first, Turbo Native in 15 minutes. It's me building a Turbo Native app live, no cuts, one take in 15 minutes on YouTube. It's a pretty good video because it kind of shows you Xcode and Swift, but you don't really have to have any background and you're not reading an article. You're just kind of watching me leisurely build a native app. Once you have that, I have an article called uh, Swift for Ruby Developers, which kind of breaks apart the language Swift as if you were a Ruby developer. So it compares duck typing versus static typing and constants versus variables and all that good stuff. And then from there, I have a six-part series on how to get started with the framework. And that's like in-depth, you're writing code, you're building your app from scratch. It's intense, it's long, it's a couple thousand words. But at the end of it, you have like decently powerful iOS app. If you had talked to me in a few months, hopefully my book will be out, (laughs) which is going to do all of this except the video in one. I'm hoping this is going to be a couple hundred pages, kind of short and sweet. It's going to cover iOS and Android though, which I'm super excited about. I'm probably going to launch first with iOS and then do Android a little bit later. But this will be kind of all of that knowledge all in one place, fleshed out with implementations for Strata and all the latest stuff with Turbo Navigator. But that is still, I'm still writing that. So no promises on on date or anything there, but still very excited about it. That's ambitious. I I don't understand you book writers. (laughs) I'm not a book writer yet, so I might not either. I might bail and do a video course. (laughs) Well, since you... Put it out there in the public. Now we know, and we'll be asking you about that. Yeah, right. Hold me to that. And then in a year, I'll come back on and we'll see how far I got. <laughs> the, the title of this episode is going to say, Joined by Esteemed Author. <laughs> yeah. The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many ways for startups to lose money. Downtime shouldn't be one. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute. 
A monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy to use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which helps you stay in business. Best of all, Honey Badger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at honeybadger.io. That's www.honeybadger.io. I do want to just touch on, because we probably won't touch on it next episode, Rails World. How did you enjoy it? Tell me about it. Loved it. Loved every yeah. second of it. Amanda and the foundation did just an amazing job. It was one of, if not the most professionally put together conferences I've ever been to as an attendee or as a speaker. Like attention to detail everywhere. Everything had a place. The hallway track just being a huge room next to the two sessions that had coffee and waffles and like all the booths and everything was so awesome. And to be able to travel to Amsterdam for it was icing on the cake there. What about you? I had a fantastic time. Big thank you to Buzzsprout who sponsored us to go out there. It was so much fun. Yeah. Julie missed your face though. I was like, I damn, know. Julie and I could be <laughs> falling up in this podcast booth right now. <laughs> the podcast booth was sweet. Soundproof, was sweet. professional. I like that. Yeah. It made me think about RubyConf and mm-hmm. then it made me think about Toronto. And I was like, Julie, we're going to have to have our live moment soon, right? Surely. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that Toronto is much closer to me and maybe more feasible for me to get out there. So hopefully I can be out at the next Rails world. There was so much FOMO missing out on <laughs> on this Rails world, but I heard so many good things and really wish I could have been a part of it. So Julie, I was there and I also had FOMO, if it makes you feel any better. <laughs> Same, honestly. So like I was on Twitter and was like, wait, I didn't see any of this. Where did this happen? All mm. there's so much going on all the time. So I am definitely going to try to grab a ticket to Toronto because 100%. That's also way closer for me. Do you know it, how many people were there? 700. Something like so. that, yeah. Yeah, it's like Sounds 600 like... tickets, 100 speakers and sponsors. Something like that. I think I, I don't know where that number came from, but it came out instantly. So it, I must have seen it somewhere. It kind of reminded me of when I went, my first Rails Conf was in Pittsburgh and I was still in college <laughs> and I still didn't know what was going to happen. What the hell? Wow. Uh, Is it your birthday, Andrew? <laughs> it's not my birthday. I'm, I I don't know what is happening. What was that? For it's those freaking... Yeah, go ahead. For, go, for, for those happened. listening to this podcast, Andrew's video just sprouted a bunch of balloons that came out of everywhere and no one knows where they came from. There's some more. Yep. They're There's coming out of the new reactions stuff that's in the latest Mac OS. Um, and it didn't ever do anything until the full release came out. And now like it doesn't work. It happens and then some how does it happen for you, dude? I don't understand. This is <laughs> whatever. We're moving past this. <laughs> Um, Rails World reminded me of like some of the earlier Rails comps that I've been to that were like mm. so full of like, energy and vigor and like they're really great talks specifically. That's the one thing that stuck out to me. I was like, wow, I haven't realized how much I've thirsted for like, this type of content for a while because mm-hmm. it feels like it's kind of been missing. Yeah, the quality of talks and, and the amount of preparation that folks put into them was very obvious. Yeah. And I only made it to a few talks, to be totally honest. As a speaker... And as someone who like lost my voice on like the first night, I was just sipping honey and, and lemon and tea for like 24 hours. But the talks that I did go to were just like super polished, super impressive. And everything outside of that, people were just so excited for Rails and like working in Rails and the new Turbo stuff. And yeah, it was a lot of energy that I haven't seen at other conferences before. If I remember correctly, 
tickets sold out in like the first minute or something, right? Or something very short. Like I hope that they have more opportunities for people to come to the next one because I yeah. am not very fast at trying to grab a yeah. ticket. There's no way that more people could have fit into this event. I felt like the venue was perfectly sized. I did not feel squished and it wasn't like big and empty and weird to walk through yeah. like by yourself. Yeah, it was great. I heard a rumor that some people want to double it. Yeah. With the amount of like feedback, that good feedback, like I'm going next year. <laughs> so I'm already now know that next year, one of my conferences will be this. I was going to say RailsConf, last, the one that I went to last year had 1,200 or so folks. Do you feel like that's too big or is it fine? It depends on the space because you can have many more people than that as long as like facility is adequate and there's enough rooms and there's enough water and food for everyone, then you know, I think that's fine. I think where it gets weird is if I think when there's a huge venue and not a lot of people, that's a lot weirder to me Yeah, because then I can't just like hide in the crowd and like go my introverted self like I want to be. But the vibe was great. I think the word renaissance was thrown around a few times. Joe, what do you predict or foresee happening in the next few months, especially around iOS, what are you excited for? I spoke to 30 plus people were excited to start with Turbo Native after the conference. And 31, because I was sitting <laughs> there. I have app ideas, dude. I've got mockups. Go. Yeah, there you go. And doing Turbo Native consulting for three and a half years full time, six years part time. I've had people have been excited. I've had a lot of people come to me and say they want to build an app. And I've had enough clients, of course, to sustain it as a business, but I've never seen this level of excitement. I usually get businesses coming to me saying like, hey, this feels like a really good shortcut to get us in the app store. Can you help us? Now I'm getting developers excited about the technology. And that's really cool because that opens up so many more opportunities. To me, Turbo Native needs to work from the bottom up. I don't think CTO should be responsible for knowing all the ins and outs of every technology. And to not have Turbo Native on their radar, I think is okay. But I think that needs to come from the developers saying, hey, we're building a mobile app. We're doing Rails. The no-brain answer is Turbo Native. Also, let's talk to Joe. But I don't think that should have to come from the top. And to start seeing that coming from developers and people coming up to me and being excited about it is really, really awesome. And it also gets me excited because notice that I've been doing more and more education content versus just consulting. And I've really enjoyed that. And it's been really fun. And to have an opportunity to know that there are folks out there, like I've always worried that the market would be too small, that there's not enough of us. And it seems like that might not be the case. And that opens up opportunity to do more and more exciting things. Like maybe it's not just a 150 page book. Maybe it's a video course. Maybe it's a thousand page printed book. If there's more people interested, it opens up just lots of fun stuff. And thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing this because I've always kind of felt Turbonado was a little bit too advanced for me. And you breaking it down like this makes it seem a lot more tangible and like I can go and do this. I'm excited for her and for everyone to see your talk because yeah, me too. <laughs> what I saw, Julie, not only could you do it, you could do it quickly. So we've been talking about, I think there was a lot of magic in that room when I was like, there it is. That's so cool. Yeah, I think that a lot of folks go through this like double trough wave of Turbo Native. They get really excited about it and then wait, I actually have to write Swift and Kotlin and they give up on it for six months. And then they get motivated again and they're like, okay, I'm going to learn some Swift and Kotlin. And they're like, holy crap, this is so much fun. This is so easy. And then it happens again where they have to submit to the App Store and Google Play. And then they're back on the train again. And it's like, if you can get over those valleys, you're golden. And that's a big ask. I get that. And my content, what I'm trying to do, my five-year plan is to get rid of that first 
Valley entirely. So you go right from being excited about Turbo Native to getting your app, to getting it ready, to getting it on test flight. And then you're only dealing with the external stuff that I can't deal with, like Apple and Google. But I'm getting you an app that is functional in your hand, downloadable, even though you only knew Rails two weeks ago or something. That's my goal. I got a question for you. I'm pretty sure, Julie, you were actually there. When we were all in whatever city that was, Portland, I want to say. Portland, we all went to Portland. For RailsConf? That's where we all were together. That RailsConf? <laughs> yeah, and we all were on the roof. Chris did a thing for Go Rails one evening. And Julie came and we hung out. And then, Joe, I don't remember if you remember this, but I pulled you aside and I was like, mm-hmm. hey, man, I'm really interested in iOS stuff. Where should I start? And you told me to pick up Swift Playgrounds. And I want to reiterate that advice because that showed me, I was like, oh my God, like I can open my iPad and build an app. And then Swift is not that bad, but I want to know a few years later, what would your advice be to me now? If I'm like, Hey Joe, I want to build this iOS thing. Yeah. Well, first I do remember that because I do remember talking about Swift finally at the Rails conference. I think that my emotion towards that hasn't changed. If you're interested in Swift and you want to go iOS, like definitely check out Playgrounds. They are super easy to get started. You can, like, like Andrew said, you can use them on your iPad or just Xcode if you have a Mac. But I think that there's also something you have to keep in mind where if you want to build fully native iOS apps, you're going to be doing a lot of things very differently than your, your traditional Rails or your Ruby stack, which is totally cool. But if you want to start getting into something like Turbo Native, I think that looking at Playgrounds is a great way to get excited, but not a lot of the concepts you're going to learn there are going to carry over to Turbo Native. It's going to teach you the basics of the language, 100%, but it's not going to get you like how to present controllers and do navigation and stuff like that. And that's the kind of stuff that I think you need to really just get in there and make apps in Xcode writing Swift. But like Andrew said, Swift shares a lot of visual aspects with Ruby. It's way more verbose. I will give it that. It's way more convoluted. It's strongly typed, which is kind of a pain in the butt. But overall, it's not doesn't look like Objective C used to look. It's you know, not Java either. It's not Java. Yeah. Like there's no crazy interfaces all over the place. They're called protocols, but that's a different story. Who cares? <laughs> like Swift and Ruby are my favorite languages. Ruby's way more of a favorite language, as DHH said during his talk. It's like a close, not close second, right? But Swift isn't that bad. And neither is Kotlin. As I learn Kotlin more and more, Kotlin isn't that bad either. It's very similar to Swift. But yeah, I think that if you take the time and dive into them, they're less intimidating than they first appear. I picked up enough Swift on an hour plane ride that I was like, wow, this is really, that I was already able to branch off of the instructions. Like, oh, well, if I can do this, like surely then I can like, change these variables around and like nice. move the stack. I'm like, yeah, it is not as intimidating. I never expected actually Swift to be intimidated. But when you said Kotlin wasn't that bad, now I'm like, okay, really? Because I've always considered Kotlin to be very intimidating just because it is near enough to Java that I'm like, beware danger. Yeah, I think that it shares a lot of baggage. But I also think that the Kotlin language is evolving so fast, like even faster than Swift, that the Kotlin I looked at two, three years ago is way different than the Kotlin I'm looking at today. And that's really exciting because it's rare that a language advances that fast. So I'm hoping to pick up more of that that soon because I have a lot of folks that are asking for Android equivalents of my stuff, which makes sense. The point is to go cross-platform, right? Can't just do iOS. I mean, fine with just iOS personally. (laughs) Joe, is there anything that we should have asked you and we didn't or that you want people to know? I think that one of the most important things about Turbo Native is that we touched on this a little bit. It's a wrapper around your Rails website. 
if you have an idea for a mobile website, build it first and then do Turbo Native. It's rare that you'll make an app that needs native as its core functionality versus something that can enhance an already great web experience. So your ideas that you're thinking of that you want to be mobile apps, can you make them a mobile website first and progressively enhance with Turbo Native? Because I think that that's the approach that I want to encourage because you get to continue. You're going to be writing a lot of Ruby and a lot of Rails and you want to continue to do that. You shouldn't start with a wrapper that doesn't wrap anything, so to speak. Mm. All that stuff though, yeah, I'm always open to chat. My email is plastered all over my website, which is mazalati.com. And I do also have a, a newsletter there, which is super exciting. Every week I send out an article or an update or some code snippets on Turbo Native. And that's growing pretty quickly. I also announce all of my like new workshops and courses and stuff there. So it's a really good way to just kind of stay in touch. And it's just the big button right in the middle of the website. And we'll have links to all of that. I do have one final question for you. Yeah. I get this question in my inbox all the time, which is why I don't really check my inbox anymore. Is this something that a junior Rails developer, someone learning Rails should look into, should try, should, do they need to know? Do they need to know it? No. Is it an extra leg up against the competition? 100%. If you can come in knowing enough Rails to do the tasks that a company asks of you, but then also could bring that to native on iOS and or Android, that's a really big win. That's a really big competitive advantage against the slew of other Rails developers that are out there. I think that's something that like I wouldn't take away from learning Rails. I'd want you to learn the Rails, the core of it first. But if you feel like you have a good understanding, but you like can't get that job, Turbo Native could be a really good way to get your foot in the door, even if they're not using Turbo Native in their app, just because it does set you apart. But I definitely would recommend checking out the Turbo Native directory and seeing if there are companies there that are doing Turbo Native apps. And then all of a sudden you have a better in because you're like, hey, I could also help with the with the mobile apps. That's my advice. Good answer. I agree 100% completely. <laughs> this was jam-packed full of such great information. I'm really excited to get this episode out to our listeners. Yep, me as well. Joe, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. I feel like I'm going to have to ask you back in the near future when I actually start traveling down this road. So yeah. Yeah. So if you want more, let us know on the socials and the interwebs and stuff and we'll have them back. Joe, thank you again. Everyone else, see you next week. Julie, later. Bye everyone. (laughs) 